This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. That's the Athletics' Jesse Temple. We are now eight practices into fall camp. Badgers have two more that we'll actually get to be able to see. We're going to be in there on Friday, going to be in there on Saturday, and then it's closed. So we'll have to do a little bit of what fans are doing and kind of guessing what's happening the rest of uh, the three weeks. But we'll also have an opportunity to talk to players during that time as well. So we'll get a little bit, I guess, a little bit of an inside look. Um, But we'll get to practice number eight. We'll talk about practice number seven as well, since we didn't get to do that yesterday. Uh, We'll start with the, the big news that's coming out of practice eight. And I don't know how big a news it is, but it's certainly very relevant to Wisconsin in their future and their fortunes on offense. And that is wide receiver Will Pauling went down in a drill today. He, you actually saw it. I didn't see it. Uh, he knocked knees and with a, with a teammate went down, went to the locker room, never came back, had some ice on it after practice. Yeah, it was like a kick or punt return drill. They were shooting footballs out of the gun and they had their three or four returners back there. Pauling has been one of them all preseason and there were only like three or four players down the field and like you said they they collided around midfield and you could hear from the other side of the field people were saying like you know get up well and uh part of me thought <laughs> is that just hoping because they know how important he is and um needed some assistance to get off the field and we did see him after practice he was back out there he had some ice wrapped around his knee don't know how long he would be out. Um, you know, the, the, we don't at this point really get a lot of injury updates on players. That's kind of not how the program is operating right now. But um, obviously, we know he's an extremely valuable piece. He's the team's number one slot receiver. He's uh, in contention to be one of the return guys. I I don't know the severity, and I don't want people to freak out because again, it wasn't like uh, he disappeared and we'll never see him again. I mean, he was he was out there getting iced up and. That's football, too. A lot of these guys are banged up. You can see a lot of players wearing wraps and things like that and continuing to go. And it's important to remember, we're still more than three weeks out from the season opener. So if you need to rest a guy, that's okay. We are three weeks away from the opener. Again, it does give you a little bit of a pause, though, to see a guy like that to go down, especially the way because we actually, it happened in the spring, too. Do you remember that? It happened in the spring. He went down on, on the sideline and... Like, I'm like, oh, my God, did he because it was a non-contact injury. And like, oh, my God, is he done? And then he was back out there like the next practice. So he was moving around well enough after practice today. Uh, he did have, as you said, the the wrap on his knee and it looked like the ice was on the inside of his knee. So we'll see. Again, we get two more practices. We'll see if he's out there on Friday and then uh, on Saturday. But Knock on wood, I don't think it's like something serious that's going to keep him out for an extended period. But again, that'd be that's also complete guessing on my part. Um, so I'm going to take that back and say and and be like, I didn't just I didn't say that. I don't know. We'll see. Um, the wide receivers, though, were another big part of this practice on Friday or on Thursday. We got to see more one on ones. They started practice the same way. This uh, this practice starter kind of get the juices flowing. They did the one on ones kind of like we talked about last week down in Platteville. They did it again this morning. I don't know that there was as much juice to it this time, but then later in practice, they did it again. We saw some ridiculous catches, uh, one from Jim Ray DK, one from, or I should say, uh, one from Bryson Green and one from Chris Brooks. It just feels like different guys every single time making plays. 
Yeah, that's what I wrote about in my practice report off Thursday is that every day it's a different wide receiver. And to me on Thursday, it was a lot of the Chimray DK show. The Wisconsin's very first 11 on 11 snap, he made this incredible catch down the left side. It was for about a 34 yard gain. And he went into the air, caught the ball as Hunter Wooler came over and gave him a good pop and still hung on. There were three or four examples where Chimray got free and was able to create space and, and catch a ball for a first down, a couple where he was diving to his knees. So it's not like that every day. I mean, think about practice on Wednesday. I don't know how many times Chim Ray's name was called when you compared it to, say, Bryson Green, who had two touchdown passes, including a monster 29-yard touchdown pass. Keontes Lewis had, if it was in bounds, the play of practice where he caught a touchdown pass in the end zone of about 16 yards and I think the defense was pretty sure he was out of bounds and Luke Fickle played the role of official came over and signaled touchdown. And I asked Keontes about it afterward. You could kind of see the wry smile on his face. And he said, uh, well, they called it a touchdown. So we in, um, but that's what it's been like. And that's, that's what I wrote about this week with the wide receiver group is the, that top six that they have. It's not really a stretch. I don't think not, not to be a prisoner of the moment, but this is the most talented and deepest group of wide receivers wisconsin has had and they have been rolling through them like a hockey shift three in three out so tanner mordecai can get comfortable with those guys that's something that uh the group mentioned on wednesday but it was dk primarily on thursday but other guys are continuing to step up and make plays and i i think that's encouraging and i also think some fans may may wonder oh well what does that mean for the secondary like those guys have been making their share of plays too now obviously they're passing it a hell of a lot more than they have been in previous seasons but we're seeing some amazing battles on the back end yeah it's i mean those those ones those one-on-ones are really designed for the wide receivers to have some success right i mean they it's one-on-one they can go pretty much anywhere on the field and so it's really really tough there's there's no help anywhere it's not like there's a safety on in the inside that's able to stop a slant or, you know, deter a guy from getting uh, from going inside because he's going to get knocked the F out um, like there's there's nothing to that. So those those one on ones are certainly designed for success. And we've seen that. And but you're right. The one on ones in the are not the one on ones, but the 11 on 11. Great battles, great battles. And I, the, the defensive backs have won their share as well. And one of those guys that has won a lot of his battles and it wasn't necessarily in coverage, but was everywhere on Thursday and has had a really good camp is Hunter Wohler and a guy that we definitely think and believe is going to have a huge season. We haven't had a chance to talk to them. I mean, we have to talk to him before fall camp. We'll get a chance to talk to him here a little bit later in fall camp, but everything I've seen from him poised for a huge year. He was going to have a huge sophomore year. It's just that he got hurt in the first game of the season. That ended up being his only start. He ended up playing in six games. If he's healthy, absolutely I see a monster year for Hunter because this defense fits him perfectly. When they're not in the dollar, obviously he's in there on the back end. Uh, what we've seen so far is Kamoi Latu there. We see Travion Blaylock come in when they run the dollar, but that safety room is so deep they could play any of those guys. Hunter you're right. He was everywhere. I mentioned the the pop that he put on DK that DK managed to hold on. That's down the field. When they put him in the dollar and he's at linebacker depth, he can wreak havoc. There were multiple instances where Wisconsin in its quest offensively to get the ball out quickly, get the ball into playmakers hands in space would throw these passes into the flat and Hunter is right there. And if he could tackle dudes, uh, they would be ferocious, but obviously you're, 
generally holding up here. He can get into the backfield to stop plays. He can pressure the quarterback. He can stop these short passes in the flat and he can play deep. And uh, there were multiple tackles made on Thursday. So certainly a breakout candidate this season. And uh, I mean, I, I don't know what that looks like, but I won't be surprised if he has an all big 10 type of year. He is, he is just that good. And I think we'll have that many opportunities in this defense. Yeah, when they're getting that three safety look where he is down in the box, essentially in, in that dollar defense, he can do so much. He can drop, he can play the run, he can play the pass, he can get after the quarterback. I, he is the type, the type of body around the line of scrimmage that I think is going to be a, a challenge for defenses um, to deal with. And so he stood out as well. Uh, a couple more injury notes, I guess, before we get further into this. We, you know, Mumajong Meta went and had surgery. We talked about it the last time that we had a show and, you know, who's going to be back. We, they were expecting him back soon. Well, soon was Wednesday. He was back out there on Wednesday, didn't do much on Thursday, was back out there and actually taking part in contact drills. Now his right hand was heavily bundled up, um, had, it was a big club and we'll see how, how long he has to wear that. But when they talked about being back quickly, <laughs> He was back very, very quickly. Um, he obviously desperately wants to be out there on a regular basis. Um, a couple of other guys, Kurt Neal is out right now. We heard from Luke Fickle saying that he it might be a few weeks. Uh, he was on crutches yesterday, uh, just has this wrap on his leg, dealing with something there. And then um, Jamel Howard is a guy that has, hasn't been able to take part. He's, he's dealing with something. And a guy we talked about the, the last episode, uh, Tucker Ashcraft, uh, was not in any team drills today he was out uh and rehabbing as well and now he remember he was in a non-contact jersey to start camp and then uh, got that off either the first either the second or third day a guy that was wearing a yellow jersey today Chess malusi at least back uh on the field took part in a, in a few things but when you're wearing that yellow jersey no contact is obviously no contact and so it, it's tough for him and i'm sure he's a little bit frustrated but um Certainly um, good to see him back on the field. Was it, did I miss anybody else? Uh, I think you, you pretty much got the the big ones. I mean, there's some other guys that have been out. Grover Bortolotti's been out for a little while. Um, but, I mean, that's allowed some rotations to be different. We've seen a lot more of Nate White, who had a big-time play. But in terms of guys you're going to see on the field, I think, uh, I think you pretty much covered it. And Chez is the type of guy, like him and Braylon, just get him to the opener. Uh, I don't I don't know how much Chez needs now it's it's good for just working with Braylon and working with Tanner and the routes and stuff but I think him you want to be super cautious because we know he's had an injury history even though this one's different from the others just just get those guys to the opener and let's see what Wisconsin has to work with yeah definitely um a, a couple of things on the, on the offensive line uh we, we we mentioned it or didn't mention it uh because we didn't have a show yesterday but um Michael Furtney and Trey Wedding kind of splitting some time there with the first team at right guard. What have you seen there? Yeah, that started on Wednesday where all of a sudden Trey Wedding, who has been the second team right tackle, was working at right guard and they bumped Fertney down to the second team. On Thursday, the first half of practice was the same as it has been throughout the preseason. Fertney was with the first team and then Wedding was at right tackle in the second team. Then they flipped. So obviously Jack Bicknell Jr. is 
taken a serious look at that spot. I know you've talked about that on multiple occasions. You wondered whether there would be some movement at guard, whether it was Wedig or Joe Huber and whether Michael Fergie would be able to hang on. I mean, Fergie's played in, I think, 44 career games and has 11 starts, but he's also been in and out of the starting lineup. So I don't know where that stands. And the other notable thing that happened on Wednesday, at least very briefly, was we saw Jake Renfro get his first snaps at center with the first team offense since practice four in the spring. Now we haven't had a chance to talk to anybody uh, on the offensive line since then, because we already talked to him earlier in camp. I think some of that may have had to do with Tanner Bordellini struggling a little bit with a couple shotgun snaps and just giving him a bit of a breather. But that was notable because obviously Renfro came here to be the top center. Now he was back with the twos on Thursday. So it's really, it's a six or seven man rotation is what it's looking like right now, because we just have not seen movement from any of the other guys. I know we talked before about, possibly seeing Joe Brunner make a move. Could Hayden Rucci, um, you know, they've got JP Benchwall in there with the twos. Those are all four and five-star guys out of high school, but so far those are not the ones that have made a move. So I would, I would envision a six or seven man rotation, depending on where they think Renfro is at. Yeah. Again, I think there's a lot of people that think Tanner Bordellini's best spot is at guard, um, but we haven't seen him there yet. We have not seen him in fall camp working at guard at all. We know his history is there. But if, you know, Jake Renfro is your center, I, I think the problem with this is, is I don't know that Jack Bicknell is totally comfortable with Jake Renfro's health. And to throw him in with the first team and you start using Tanner Bordellini elsewhere, they don't want to do that because they could be then without, you know, having to throw Bordellini back in there if Renfro goes down at center. I, I don't think that, that that's what they want to do. I don't think they want to. They want, was it him that was talking? No, it was uh, Bosted last year talking about how he wanted to have this many centers because back in 2009, I had to start a, a true freshman named Travis Frederick and, you know, like that, that type of stuff. But I think it, it, we've heard a little bit of the same stuff from Jack McNell wanting to have at least three guys that can play center because if you don't have a center, you, you're not going to do anything. And so I think it may be that I don't necessarily think he's totally comfortable with Jake Renfro's health to be able to, be like, yes, I can plug him in there and I feel comfortable with him being there and I know he's going to be there and then use Tanner Bordellini elsewhere. I don't think you can do that at this point. It's a really difficult spot too because of how important center is, of how important that continuity is and just getting those reps consistently. Um, and if Renfro does come back and is with the ones, then it totally messes up whatever your guard rotation was going to be because somebody who's only been getting first team reps is going to be bumped out of there and presumably would be a part of a rotation. But it's it's an interesting spot for Wisconsin to be in. It's not the worst spot in the world because Bordellini has played center. Shoot, he played it as a true freshman. He got thrown in there for a start against Iowa and uh, obviously played it in the bowl game with Joe Titman going on to the NFL draft. But um, yeah, I don't know ultimately what they're going to do. It's something that Bicknell is clearly trying to figure out. And it's really, I mean, the only reason Bordellini was taken out was because of the snaps, right? Like they're... Um... That's the only thing I think is that is, is holding up, which is obviously a huge thing. And he's put a ton of effort into it. We we talked to him before fall camp and how many, how much snaps, how many snaps that they were going out on a daily basis and going out there and doing. So it's not that it hasn't the efforts there, obviously. It's just the the consistency. And you can tell that he's frustrated too, right? Yeah, there I pointed this out to you on Wednesday. There was an instance where I think it was a high snap, kind of blew up the play a little bit. And you could see Tanner walk over and kind of slam his helmet down into the ground. I mean, 
yes, he has put a ton of time in this. And I think it's also worth pointing out. I, I think, look, I've never played center. You can see clearly I, I'm not, I don't have the offensive lineman build. So easy for me to say here, but I think Tanner's been really good this uh, fall. I mean, there, there have been very few instances, I think, where the offense couldn't get a playoff because the snap just wasn't there. It just so happened that there were a couple in one practice, but overall, I, it's been market improvement and and you're right about Bicknell wanting to try to get three centers lined up. Obviously there's Renfro with the twos. He also wanted to get Joe Huber. You know, I, I don't really envision Huber. I mean, unless it's an emergency being a center, like he, he sees the versatility with guard, obviously he started at Cincinnati as a tackle, but those are the, the first three. And then you've got Dylan Barrett, who's been getting snaps with the threes and an occasional snap with the twos. I thought it was interesting, something that Luke Fickle talked about, too, about how important everything up the middle is. And he was talking both offensively and defensively. And in relation to, to offense, it's the center, the quarterback and the running back. And he said, if you don't have that, I mean, you, you have no chance. So, uh, look, it obviously starts with the center. He's getting the play going and and they've got to figure out where everyone's going to be in the end. Yes, I also appreciate the accountability aspect of this with players. And it's not just center. We've seen it at quarterback too. When you're making continued mistakes, you're going to get taken out. When Braden Locke has thrown more, you know, an interception that probably shouldn't have been thrown. It's Miles Burkett getting some time in there with the first, with the second team offense. I think it's happened on defense as well. If you blow a coverage or if you blow an assignment, you're going to, you're going to, I don't want to say pay the price, but you're going to be held accountable for for continued mistakes. And that has uh, certainly been noticeable. And it's not that it didn't happen before. I mean, you, you think about when you would jump off sides, an offensive lineman would jump off sides, previous regime, you'd be out and they'd put somebody else in. Uh, that's just the way you're being held accountable. The other thing that has stood out to me at practice, and maybe this there's some questions that I got that, we're going to be, that I'm going to do tomorrow in the camp Q&A about how things are different than the previous regime. And I think one thing that has stood out and I don't, I mentioned it to you at practice today, and that is the lack of officials at practice. I feel like we saw a ton of it under the former coaching staff, and I'm sure they will have them at some point, but we have not yet seen them at practice. There are eight practices into there and we haven't seen officials. The only official that they have is, is chief of staff, Greg Gillum, who has a yellow flag and a red flag. And I don't know the difference between the two, had a great conversation with him back in the spring. If you didn't uh, see it, go back and listen to it. He's a very interesting guy and a, and a huge part of this program. But he, I think it might leave a little bit to be desired as an official because we have seen, it feels like, a lot of contact down the field with the DBs and the quarter and the wide receivers. And he's letting them play. I don't know that the officials necessarily would let them play. But to me, that, is, that has been one of the bigger things that has stood out the differences between the previous regime and, and this regime. And I think there's some others that maybe I'll mention tomorrow, but that may be the one that has stood out to me, maybe the most. Honestly, that's not something I've thought about all that much. Um, well, you're, you're a better man than me. I just, no. every time, every time I'm seeing it, I'm just like flag flag. And I look at Gil, well, he's not, he's, he's just standing there like hands in his pockets. Like, Nope, there's, I didn't see anything. No contact. Didn't see anything. He even got mentioned in the, uh, the wired up Wednesday, the Wednesday show. Uh, uh, that UW Badgers put out, not UW Badgers, but the Badger football Twitter account put out. Rodas Johnson is like begging him for a flag. And he's like, yeah, I can't see it. Um, so again, I, you're a better man than me. I'm always about the officials and what what's going on here. Where is it? 
No, it doesn't. It doesn't make me a better man in the slightest. I think it's just not something that has been overly noticeable because the it's when you get to the scrimmages that you really need it, right? Like they're they're actually tackling, they're actually playing football. And I don't know how much of it had to do with the previous staff with knowing some of those officials or you know state high school guys coming in and getting that kind of opportunity. I don't think it's like holding this unit back, but it is it is uh, it is a little bit different. I mean, I'm sure you'll address this on Friday. To me, it's plain and simply the pace and the fact that I've, I've you know, you got ones going on one side and threes going on the other side. They're getting a ton of work in. Um, but I'll say I'll, I'll let you uh, address that on the Q&A. Well, no, the, the Q&A was like outside of pace. What else is different? Yeah. And so the pace is different. The, the one that also, you know, you talk about going separate sides it's also the separate sides in skelly when you have you know they're going left and right it's not just full field skelly it's left side goes right side goes left side goes right side goes so i'm sure it's difficult for you though too because you're trying to keep track of it all on on your computer yeah i've got i've got my laptop this is inside baseball i'm just sitting there in the bleachers with it constantly staring ahead typing not even looking at what i'm typing but i couldn't possibly look at both sides so usually i pick well it's the first and second team offense but every once in a while if nick evers is in there and getting an opportunity i want to see what he has to do and uh he's usually delivering uh some shot down the field it's just that you can't really judge (laughs) you can't really judge what that means because you might have a third or fourth string guys going against each other but that is significantly different from what we've seen in the fast in the past it's it's obviously much faster way more reps and a lot more for coaches to to have to evaluate so you you talked about your practice report wide receivers obviously are a big part of it Quarter, we haven't talked about quarterbacks at all here and i feel like these last two practices really uh, really wednesday i thought was a really really good day for tanner mordecai and for Braden lock but the last couple practices have uh i think upward trajectory for the for the quarterbacks i don't know if you feel the same way I do. It steps in the right direction. And I almost think the fact that we're not really talking about them a ton is a good thing because when we are, and when we were in the first week, it was for mistakes that were happening. It was, you had this guy open and you threw behind him, you threw a couple interceptions. Now it's just kind of in the flow of the offense and it allows you to focus on, Hey, the wide receiver really made a really nice play, but I think Braden has had a, a nice bounce back here after a, a shaky start. He's he's really coming along, give his receivers an opportunity and not make those kinds of mistakes that are just going to blow up a drive. And Tanner Mordecai to me is really just kind of a steady Eddie. Um, and I don't mean that in the sense of, oh, he's a game manager, which is, you know, has a negative connotation and is associated with many Wisconsin quarterbacks. I just mean steady Eddie in the sense that like, you know what he's going to provide. He delivers the ball on target with accuracy. He gets the ball out quickly. And if something breaks down, which we've seen, he can scramble. Um, It's hard to know what the end result would be because the last thing you want to do is is touch the quarterbacks wearing the black jerseys. But I think they've been really solid here this week and coming along at, at just the right time. I would agree. The other thing that we got to see on Wednesday, we didn't get to see on Thursday at all, was was kicking. We got to see some kicking on on thir- on Wednesday. There's some debates apparently up in the stands about what was made and what was not. Uh, we got a couple of uh, stand watchers and you and Colton Bartholomew, uh, me being on the ground, me being a, a intrepid reporter and intrepid photographer and intrepid videographer was there. And I was standing behind because you, again, you guys are for anybody trying to picture this, you guys are in the stands and I'm 
in the stands, uh, you know, for most of the practice. But to start practice, you guys are in the stands, you're sitting on like the 50 yard line, about 20 rows up, trying to see whether a field goal goes in. It's not very easy. So I was trying to do guys a, a, a favor. I was trying to do something for you guys, sitting behind there, just going, giving you the, uh, the old good or not. And apparently you didn't see it at all. But I had them making all of them, and you guys were a little bit less sure. Well, I didn't write a practice report off Wednesday's practice so I could focus on the wide receivers, thankfully, because obviously not having accurate stats on field goal kicking would be the death knell in that practice report. Look, Ooh. I'm going to I'm gonna cede to you because you were right there. It is impossible to determine when field goals are, are good or not if there are no officials standing under the goalposts. Think about that. Think about if you had to watch somebody kick field goals and there were no officials under the goalposts and you just had to guess. Um that's what we were doing, but that's an encouraging sign if, in fact, they did make them all because, obviously, Nathaniel Vakos had a, a tough day earlier in the week. I think he had four attempts, only made one. One of the misses was from 29 yards, but, um, I mean, he he's very clearly going to be the guy. He's shown it on film last year, and he's taken the one reps consistently since he's come here. So they need these opportunities, though, because they didn't get very many in week one. Did you have any of the distances on those from yesterday? And I know you keep track of that, but I know maybe you don't have them right in front of you as we're talking. I'm guessing you don't. So I'm I not do gonna, not. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ask about them. But they were they weren't short kicks. This wasn't what they were doing in Platteville on uh, on Monday night, or not on Monday night, but on Sunday, where there were some some struggles. These were not short kicks. I don't think if uh, if you know my mind isn't doing tricks on me, which is certainly a possibility. But I don't think I don't think it was. Um, was there anything else that stood out to you that, that you wanted to, to mention here before we move on? Well, if we're on a special team segment, we have to talk about punting. Uh, I, I think it, it, to me, it feels like it's been a bit up and down, uh, the last night in Platteville, they were as good as they have been the entire preseason, which we talked about in the, the previous episode. Don't think it was quite as consistent on Thursday you know, Atticus Bertrams continues to go first and he continues to take the most reps. I think I had him with taking four punts and then Jack Van Dyke had three and Gavin Myers took one, but it's kind of all over the place. You might get one that goes 35 yards and another that goes 45 yards out of Bertrams. And with, with Van Dyke, I think one was 36 and one was 47. So you're kind of running the gamut here. And obviously what they're seeking is the consistency to have the hang time and the the depth to, to push back the uh, the other team. And I think that's kind of ongoing here. So I, I don't I mean, I don't know what that's going to look like in the season. But to me, that's an area that they are going to continue to look at just to make sure they have somebody. And and I don't know that they've I think it's it's early, but it's fair to say that there's no Andy Vunovich right now because you, the, the leg strength on that dude. There's a reason why he set the program record for average yards per punting attempt. Um so I don't expect that, but you, you know, you can't have a ball that bounces 30 yards in the air and then rolls backward. You just need more consistency. Yeah, you definitely do. All right. Before we get out of here, I wanted to ask you about this question. I saw this because this is from one of your coworkers at the athletic Stuart Mandel, who runs things over there for you guys. I don't know. I don't know exactly what his, his title is, but he does his mailbag and he was asked a question. It says, please power rank the new big 10 considering the number of college football playoff wins the first 10 years, who would be your top, who, who, without looking, Jesse, what would your top five look like? The question was considering the number of college football playoff. I wouldn't wins. even, don't even worry about that. Just, just power rank the new big 10 and the potential for it going in the, in the future. Okay. This includes Washington and Oregon, I assume. Yes. Uh, I mean, look, I, 
I have to go with Michigan number one purely because the Wolverines have gone to the playoff the last two years. Otherwise, I would just be inclined to pick Ohio State every year. Those would be my first two. And right now, I would have to have USC at number three because that's a team that won 11 games in year one under Lincoln Riley. I don't, Lincoln Riley has a track record of success. I don't expect USC to be bad. So from there on, that's where I think I wonder where Wisconsin slots in. Um, and I mean, look, I think I saw that Stewart had Wisconsin at five, if I'm not mistaken. And oh, you did, I you did read it. Very I don't think that is a terrible placement for them. That was high. Because, well, and I was going to say largely because of how good the Big Ten is. I don't remember who he had it for, and maybe it was Penn State. Um, so, so he, so he went. But while we're since you already looked at this, Ohio State was number one, Michigan was two, Penn State was three, USC was four, <laughs> and Wisconsin was five. Yeah, I probably, I probably flipped USC and Penn State. Okay. But yeah. I could do, but I like the other ones. I mean, or, I mean, Wisconsin, that's, I mean, if that's how national people are viewing Wisconsin, I, that, that really says something to me that, I mean, to be ahead of Oregon, to be ahead, I mean, obviously Washington is what it is, but like, there are a lot of really good programs and for Wisconsin to be sitting at five. Now I know there's probably a, a gap between my top three of Ohio state, Michigan and, and USC and then Penn state. And then maybe there's another gap for Wisconsin, but um, the fact that they're ahead of Oregon, a team that's been in two national championship games in the last 10, uh, 10 years, or the last decade, it says about something where some people think this program's going. Well, think about how good this league is. I mean, if you're going to reference the recent history here, Oregon went to the college football playoff, Washington went one year, Michigan state went one year. Um, it's remarkable. And I also think it shows how difficult this big 10 of the future is going to be for any program, but a program like Wisconsin to break through and win a conference championship. And I, I think in an 18 team league, you're just going to have to have divisions. I don't understand how you couldn't. So maybe that <laughs> makes it a little bit easier, but easier is not the right word. So it's uh it's fascinating to watch it unfold. I I mean I wrote about this last week, but I do think Wisconsin is as well positioned as it could be for the future, but they're going to have to show that this new regime and this new offense and everything that's new can be more effective than than what Wisconsin has traditionally been. I certainly expect it to be better than the last 3 years when Wisconsin has grossly underachieved, but um can you get back up into that upper echelon elite level? It's uh it's not going to be easy in the Big 10. It won't be, but again, I think just the idea that uh, national people think Wisconsin is in that conversation to be one of the top five programs in the Big Ten um, certainly says something after the last three years, and uh, and certainly says obviously says something about Luke Fickle. Um, one more thing before we go, I lied. Uh, Xavier Lucas is going to be making his uh, college decision tomorrow at noon. It's coming down to Wisconsin. It's coming down to Florida State. It's coming down to to Iowa. I think Wisconsin is the favorite to win this one because I, to be fair, uh, Florida state took some guys. Uh, I think if it were, if we're up to him, if he were to take for Florida state, maybe it would be the Seminoles, but it doesn't sound like he is. And it sounds like Wisconsin's going to be his pick tomorrow. What do you think about Xavier Lucas? Well, yeah, Wisconsin certainly seems like it's in a good position. Um, and Iowa as well. Iowa, obviously, I think Iowa had gotten, every player that had taken an official that had committed, they were like a hundred percent. That's just remarkable. Um, especially since, especially if you've been to Iowa city. 
<laughs> uh, I have I've lived there, actually. Uh, little known fact. I, I mean, this is potentially a really good get for Wisconsin. Another Florida DB, someone that this staff identified. And they've got a few already. And they've got, what, 20 commits as of now? And this this falls right in line with what Luke Fickle said he wanted, 18 to 22 in a given year. So I don't know. It's interesting because Wisconsin isn't necessarily his first choice, obviously. Florida State went out and got, what, a five-star corner? Um, so they're just if there's not a spot, you got to go somewhere else. But it could be a really good situation for him at Wisconsin. It could be. And this just continues the overhaul of that secondary and that that really – I mean, he he could slot in as a safety or or cornerback, um, but it's a continued makeover of what they want that room to look like. I think is is really telling what they've done this first ten months. They or nine months they've been on the job. Would you agree? Oh yeah, it's 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 remarkable. I mean, look for as much as we talk about quarterback and wide receiver, the way they've remade that room is tremendously impressive. They're getting length and height, and it's funny. Uh, we we had a chance on Thursday to talk to the cornerbacks and cornerbacks coach Paul Haynes, and I had asked him about uh, Amari Snowden, who's listed at six feet four on the <laughs> roster. I, I I feel like I should repeat that six feet four. And he said, uh, not to age myself, but he reminds me of Stretch Armstrong, uh, the way you could pull his limbs and, and things like that. They're, they're getting bigger and longer and, and trying to be able to contend with some of those really physical wide receivers in the Big Ten. We'll see whether they have success with that, but it is certainly different from what we've seen in the past. It definitely is. So uh, Xavier Lucas will make his decision tomorrow. Badgers, as I said before, back in the field tomorrow for practice number nine of fall camp will be there. I'll come back. We'll do a little Q&A tomorrow, and then Jesse will be back with me on Saturday. Thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. Talk soon. All right, there he is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.